Amen. Amen. It's so good to have everybody here listening to our first online midweek service of 2021. And again, we're so glad that you're, you're joining us this evening. There might be some of you that are wondering and um, thinking, why isn't Pastor Jeff up here uh, starting the book of Ezekiel? And that will be next Wednesday. So you want to be sure that you tune into that. Uh, the book of Ezekiel, a wonderful book. It's a book of visions and prophecies. And so you'll be blessed as Pastor Jeff goes through that on our Wednesday night online services. He will also be here on Sunday. And he will be here continuing his study in the book of Matthew. And so 8, 9, 30, 11, come on out. For that, you'll be tremendously blessed in that. But for this evening, if you would please turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11. And as you're turning there, I just want to say I, I pray that everybody had a blessed Christmas and that you've had a good holiday, you got some rest, and uh, we're able to do things with your family. And so now we turn the calendar. We start a new year. We're excited about that. Um, if, I also want to mention, too, if, if you want to know the things that are happening, and I know most of you know this, but be sure you check out our e-bulletin for the current events that are happening here at Calvary Chapel. And so if that's not being mailed to you, you can um, just call us and we'll get you on the list to do that. But it's on the uh, website at calvarychapelgreeley.org and also on our mobile app. So you can go there. You can see um, the, the events that will be coming up. We know that we have uh, young adults that will be starting here soon. Uh, on Friday nights again, and we'll be getting out the schedules, and you'll be able to see that on the the bulletin, the information, as we get that schedule out for the men's and women's study that will be starting later um, towards the end of the month and later in the year. Pretty soon they're going to start, so we'll get that information out to you on that, and you'll be able to see everything you need to know about those studies. So, again, welcome here. Everybody, I hope, is in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to read it, and it reads like this. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another, and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, Father, we do come to you this evening. That is a people that 
uh, is hungry for your word and hungry for your instruction. And Lord, we just pray that your spirit would do that with our hearts. And as we go through these things, we know there are important lessons for us. There are important things for us to consider and to practice, Lord, in our Christian lives. And that you still have much for us to do. So, Lord, if there's anything in our hearts that would keep us from hearing from you clearly, we just pray that we would be able to set that aside. And that at this time we would be still before you. And that we would be guided by your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your word. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at here at uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, um, in these verses that we just read, Peter gives us some of his final exhortations in this epistle. And as we turn the calendar to 2021, I think most of us would say, you know, and, and that 2020 was a tough year for us. So gone are the Christmas trees, gone are the poinsettias, and hopefully soon will be gone all the disruptions and the uncertainties that we saw and been seeing in the last 10 months. So I don't think there's anybody that I've talked to that has said, oh, I, I, you know, I was sad to see 2020 end. And it's been a hard year, and some of you have, have gone through loss, and some of you have uh, lost a lot. You've lost loved ones or you've lost a job. I think for the least, uh, the least thing that has been going through in our lives is the disruptions and the uncertainties that all of us have gone through. And it's been very hard to feel like you can move forward in things. You don't know what's going to happen the next week. And are the kids going to be able to be in school? Um, you know, am I going to have to start working for a home or, or whatever the situation here? We've seen that here at Calvary Chapel. It's been tough for us to plan, to, to make sure that we stay and minister to, to people here, but at the same time to keep them safe. So we've uh, had to make decisions that we thought we never would have to make. And so I think we're glad to see this year go on. But whether these tough times that we've been going through, these uncertainties continue in our lives, the one thing that we do know, that God still desires to work in our lives. And he still has a plan and a purpose for us. And he still wants to work in our spiritual lives. We still have a race that we are to run, and we have things that we are called to do. That never has stopped, and it won't continue those things won't continue to stop as well. I think one of the verses that has ministered to me in the last 10 months has been Philippians chapter 6, or chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul says, we can be confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And that's a promise to us, that he promises to complete that work that he is doing in us. And we know that the Lord can do some marvelous, wonderful uh, things, even in times of trouble. So, Paul, so Peter here in this epistle, he's given his final exhortations here. And so first he's going to say that we are to be ones to be humble. And he's going to talk about that. And secondly, he's going to say that we are to be watchful, that you have an adversary wanting, wanting to devour you. And thirdly, he says that we are to be hopeful, that we can be hopeful, and here's why. 
Now, as Peter is writing this epistle, um, we see that he's writing to scattered Christians and believers who have been heavily harassed and heavily persecuted. Because Nero, what he does is he burns the city of Rome, he blames it on the Christians, and so now there's a lot of strong hostility and, and hatred towards the Christians and individual believers. So what they're, they're beat up and they're battered and the world is hostile and harassing them just like they are, you know, the world is to, is to us today. And so Peter reminds them in the letter that this is to be expected because they are foreigners and aliens. And he tells them throughout the letter and he's telling us even this evening that they are citizens of heaven and they are children of God and they are residents of a heavenly kingdom and they are living stones and they are a holy priesthood and they are a people of God's own possession and they belong to him. And even though you don't belong in this world and you aren't lifted up in this world, there is a place that they do belong. And that there is a world and a kingdom that is coming that they will be a part of where they will fit in. And there is a coming inheritance which they will receive and in it will be all that God has promised them and provided for them in Christ. And Peter says we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says in this you can greatly rejoice Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter being the one that's always encouraging. Peter being the one that reminding the saints of these things. Matter of fact, in his second letter that he would write a couple years after this, and then he would be executed by Nero, he would say, you know, Peter would say, I will not be negligent to remind always of these things, to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. And as, as long as I'm in this tent, as long as I'm in this body, I'm going to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent. And indeed, we know that Nero would put him to death. He would put Peter and Paul to death around the same time. He would take Paul, the Apostle Paul, he would be rearrested. He would take and be taken out of that Maritime prison, most likely marched out of town, and he would have his head chopped off. And Peter, he would be crucified upside down. But as he wrote those things in Second Peter about reminding the saints and not being negligent to do that, I can't help to think that maybe he wrote those things as he's thinking about these exhortations that we just read here in chapter 5. Because what we see is so much pastoral character here. So the church and, and to us today in this new year, he reminds that there's a lot of things that we may not know and we're not sure how we're going to move forward in. But in, in these things and in our spiritual lives, we can move forward. So he begins there in verse 5. Um, as we get started, as we look at this, he says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. So that word likewise, you see it throughout the uh, epistle. It's a transition to a new group. So he's moving from a group he's just been talking about to a new group. 
And he says, you younger people, submit yourself to the elders. There might be somebody out there thinking, are you going over this, Pastor John, because the younger people have been giving you a hard time? No, that's not it. I love the younger people here. They are so good and gracious to me, and I love seeing them here. But Peter has an important lesson for us in this. And, and so he wants us to know and to understand as we read this, this important lesson. And the question is, is he talking about those who uh, are not mature in the faith, those who are younger, are they the ones that aren't as mature in the faith being subjected to the leadership of the church? Or is he talking about younger in age being respectful to those of us who are older? And so you have discussion centered on those two thoughts. But either way, both are to be true. And look, I think most of us know not every older Christian is mature spiritually. Some of them are immature. And there are some younger individuals who are deeply mature. What Peter is saying both to the young, the youth, and to the elders are necessary for the body to work together. And one thing that it is not saying, it is not saying this, to forget about the younger saints, just put them aside and say, you guys mind your own business, we'll run things. He's not saying that. That's a good way to have a church die. And we've seen it. Here's the thing. We as a church body, we need to value our youth. And Pastor Jeff has talked about this many a times. We value our youth because they bring energy and they bring life. And they understand the changes to our culture, what is current. They have helped us with our technology. You know, this year is, will be 25 years that we started Calvary Chapel, that we started doing Sunday services. And it, you know what? We don't do church like we did 25 years ago. And we are able, because of the, uh, uh, the technology that has come, we're able to reach more people than we've ever been able to reach before and to have the radio program. And it's been the young people, the, the younger guys who have come on staff that has helped us and others tremendously in that. And they just, <clears throat> they're just so, so helpful in those areas and coming alongside of us. But on the other hand, we live in a culture where the idea of a patriarch and a family Having an older believer with some value can sometimes be written off. And to those of you who are older, I include myself into that now, but those of us who are older, I, I want you to be encouraged in this. You have a lot to offer to those who are younger. And you have value. Don't ever forget that. And I know for my wife and I, uh, one of the priorities in ministry for us, and it is probably one of the top priorities, is to pour into our grandchildren. And many of us that are older, we get to do that. We get to share our, our experiences and our maturity, and we get to minister to them. And we have things that we can pour into them, whether there are still our kids or our grandkids or nieces or nephews or those younger people that we work with. 
or friends that have younger people, we can pour into them. And we can pour into them the things of God. We've got a lot to offer them. We know that the book of Titus, the older women are to encourage the younger women in certain things. Also, Titus, in that book, in, in, uh, Paul says in the book of Titus, the older men are to be example of good things in work and doctrine. And there should be never a generational war in the church with the older people resisting change and the younger people lacking respect for the older. Peter's saying the younger and the older are necessary for the body to work together. There's a pastor, he's also an author, F.W. Borum. He's a, he's, a well, he's a great writer. And what he does is he writes, he shares the experience of a friend that uh, goes to church uh, in his congregation, and he's a doctor. He's a doctor in his hospital. And he shares the writings of his diary that this doctor uh, gave. He would write um, what things were like when he turned 30. And then again, he would write uh, what things were like when he was 40 and 50 and so on. And so when he turns 70, still being a doctor in the hospital, there he, 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 he talks about, he writes how the younger interns and those who had finished up medical school um, there, that they would come and, and the, the older uh, doctors would come to depend on them for certain things because they would know the new research and the things that were current. And again, the new procedures that were coming down the line and the technology and such. And, and so they, uh, they were just able to, to share those things. And the older doctors, they got to the point where they kind of depended on some of this stuff. And understand, and, and they would know that they needed to listen to them and understand where they're coming from. On the other hand, the older doctors who have 30 or 40 or more years of clinical service, they would take that knowledge that they have experienced, that they have gone through, and it would help them at times to, to put the pieces together of the puzzle of maybe a hot, hard diagnosis. And they would be ones that... Um, would, would be maybe a little more patient with those who had a, a trouble and, and, and kind of know how to talk to them and get them calmed down. And, and they could just learn um, some things that maybe the younger doctors hadn't seen at all. And so they knew that because of the, the, you know, the things that the younger doctors and the older doctors could, could share in, the, in their experience and what they're talented at, they became a better hospital. It's kind of the same thing here at Calvary Chapel. Because let me tell you, we're a hospital. Because the church is a hospital. And people come into here all the time with some kinds of, all kinds of spiritual diseases. And we, all of us, want to be able to point them to the great physician. And we need to be functioning together, both the young and the older, to be here with mutual respect and gracious attitudes. And so you look at the last half of that verse, verse 5 there. You know, Peter there, he also says that, and this is a command, this is not a suggestion. We see it throughout the New Testament. He says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. 
Now, we shouldn't be surprised that we see this calling for an attitude of submission. As Peter wrote this letter in the second chapter of the epistle, he talked about the fact that we're to be submissive to all authority. And we are to be submissive into our, uh, those who employ us. And we are to be submissive in our um, marriages. And Paul, he echoes the same thing. When he writes about, in, uh, starting in Ephesians chapter 5, when he writes about relationships for us as believers, when he starts talking about relationships between married couples, husbands and wives, and uh, parents and children and employees and employers. He starts that whole section by saying that um, we are to be submissive to one another in the fear of the Lord. And so submission is, is a common theme uh, that we are to be uh, towards each other. So how do all the believers, young and old, submit to each other? Well, we see there that we are to be clothed there in verse 5 with humility. We are to put on humility. For God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. And he goes on to say in verse 6 that, Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So God resists. It's a military term. It means God draws into ranks against the proud. And we live in a world that promotes self-love, and it promotes self-satisfaction and self-love. Um, it just exalts self. And pride leads to one not being dependent upon God. And the world, it sees humility as not a very good characteristic of somebody. They see it as, you know, many in the world see it as weakness. And like I said, pride keeps you from God. And we can say a lot about the sin of pride um, throughout, we see it throughout the scripture, uh, where the sin of pride has caused a lot of damage, a lot of destruction. And maybe in this new year, I know every other year at the beginning of the year, I go through a read the Bible in one year program. And so um, I do that again every other year. I started this year uh, going through the Bible here we are, what, we're six days into the new year? And we already see so much of the destruction that pride does. I mean, I got 1,439 pages in my Bible. And by the time I get to page 4, which is Genesis 4, we see the destruction. We see the pride that leads Satan to rebel against God, along with a third of the angels. So he's there in the garden. And in the garden, we see Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden fruit and, throw it out of the, uh, and were thrown out of the garden. We see Cain, who got angry at God because God wouldn't accept his sacrifice. All that in just <laughs> first four pages. Cain, he bring an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel, his brother, he brings the firstborn of his flock of the fat. And it says there that the Lord respected Abel in his offering, and he did not respect Cain's offering. And Cain, he becomes very angry. And the Lord says to Cain, why are you so angry? Why are you getting so mad about this? Why is your continence fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? 
God was saying, if you just do what is required of you, if you know how you're supposed to come to me, if you just do that, I'll accept you. But Cain wouldn't do that. And what Cain wanted to do was dig into his heels, and he wanted to come to God in his way. And that you can't do that. God's not going to allow that to happen. So he says, just, just come the way I have, would have you to come, with the right kind of offering, and you'll be accepted. We see so many, and so Cain gets angry and he kills his brother. All because of pride. And we see pride working in the lives of so many people who want to come to God in their own way. And they think in their own righteousness, in their own goodness, that they have a right to come to God and, um, and that God has to accept their righteousness, that it's good enough. And we know that the Lord says, no. You come to me under the blood of Jesus Christ. God resists the proud. You know, Paul talks about um, the unity of the believers and, and one of the things that, that is so important in the unity of the believers is humility. And he talks about that and he shows us that Jesus is the perfect example in Philippians chapter 2. He says this to us. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but for the interest of others. And then he goes on and he talks how Jesus is that perfect example. He said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I can't help to think that Peter, as he's writing this and writing about humility, that maybe perhaps on his mind is also as last night that of Jesus' ministry that he would spend with Jesus, him and the disciples. We read about that in John chapter 13. Jesus would be meeting with the disciples again for the last time. He's just hours away from being arrested and taken and beaten and whipped and being dragged through the city streets of Jerusalem out to Damascus gates up to that hill called Golgotha to die for the sins of the world. And it says that they're about to have dinner and one of the things that the disciples are doing at this time is they're arguing about arguing and disputing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And it was customary at that time to, to, when you had a dinner like that, because they had dusty roads, that if a host had people over for dinner, they would have their feet washed. And so they would, they would take um, a bowl and, and they would wash your feet. That was usually the job of a lowly servant, of a servant that... Um, wasn't high on the totem pole, I guess you could say, at all. That would be his job. And Jesus sees them in their dispute, and in their arguing about who's going to be the greatest. He sees the need. So he lays aside his garment, 
and he clothes himself with a towel and he begins to wash their feet. And it goes to Peter. When he gets to Peter, Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet, you know. You're not going to do that. Jesus has said, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. And he would tell the disciples, look, that I give this to you as an example because the servant is not greater than his master. And he would begin to talk to them. Not only is he showing them about humility, but he also would begin to talk to them and teach them about love. Because here's the thing. Love and humility are attached together. You, you, you can't have love unless humility is there. And whenever there's a lack of love, and love is the greatest virtue for any Christian, it is always love. And whenever there is a lack of love, a lot of times and most times there's a lack of humility because self gets put on the throne. And so he would say, a new commandment that I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how the world's going to know that we belong to Jesus Christ is our love with one another. And it's going to be right alongside our humility that we show for one another, considering others you know, the needs of others along with our own needs as well. So verse 6, he says, humble yourself in the mighty hand of God. You could read it. You must allow yourself to be humble that he may exalt you in due time. So God's doing this. You accept the mighty hand of God in time of testing and trial, and he will exalt you in the proper time, or he knows the perfect time to lift you up. Okay, when's that going to be? if I'm going through hard times, when he has accomplished his purpose. And until the proper time, what are we supposed to do then? Humble yourself. Don't fight against what God is doing in your life. And during those times when God allows pressure against you to test you and to purge you and to purify you, as you're going through very difficult experiences, Don't think that the Lord is trying to discourage you or that he's forgotten you or that he's unfair. You be humble. Is that it? Just be humble? No, there's more. There's more. Verse 7. Cast your cares on him, as we're told to do. Cast your cares upon the Lord. He says there in verse 7, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. And so we see that, that he cares for us. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever think that the Lord has forgotten about you. Will you highlight that? Give it all to him. Your disappointments, your anxieties, your worries. And when he's, you know, the, the Greek word for care, when he says, cast all your cares, that word care in the Greek is merenda, which means to cast all those things that are pulling you in different directions. All those things uh, that are pulling you in a thousand different directions. Have you ever felt like that in the last 10 months? You're being pulled all kinds of different ways. 
cast those things on him. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. And again, that word casting means to be throwing something or something, throwing a blanket over a horse or an animal. And Peter says, just cast it on. Just throw it on him. All your anxiety, all your discouragement, all your despair and your questioning and your wondering and your pain. Just give it all to him. Because he loves you and he cares for you. Really, um, that, you know, it, it, it's beautiful in the Greek. It reads, with him there is care about you. With care... There is care to tend and to keep and to watch over. With him, there is care to, in regards to you. And our God is doing that for us. He really does love you, but he also cares for you. The world's not going to care for you like that. Put it all on the Lord. So he says, be humble. He says in verses 8 and 9 as we move on, he says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So he tells us here, and you start out there in verse 8 with two words. If you're a note taker, you'll want to underline those or circle them. You see sober and you see vigilant. So the word sober means to be clear-minded, to be clear-headed and watchful. That word vigilant means to be awake. So 22 times we see it in the New Testament that we are given the command to be alert and to be watchful and to be awake. And it's important that we know that we have an adversary, Satan, and he desires to chomp on us. And we know from him, or what we know from him, it has to come from the Bible because with Christians, sometimes you can see two extremes when it comes to what Satan, uh, what roles Satan plays or what's written about Satan. Sometimes you see Christians, you know, that, that say more about Satan than what the Bible does. So they give him more print than he should deserve. And so they have a tendency to talk more about what Satan's doing in their lives or wants to do in their lives than what the Lord is doing in their lives. And on the other extreme, there isn't a recognizing by Christians that we truly are in a spiritual warfare. A spiritual warfare that's been going on since the beginning of uh, creation. So we are the ones to be watchful and we're going to have to be alert because the devil is walking around like a roaring lion. And guess who his prey is? It's us. And he just doesn't want to lick at us. He just doesn't want to nibble on his prey. He wants to roar and devour. And that word adversary, it's, it's a specific word that means our opponent, opponent in the courtroom. He's the one who is our false accuser. He's the one that comes and he slanders. Understand how the enemy works. 
And I think one of the main reasons that he comes across Christians, even though he can never win you back, he'll never be able to snatch you out of the Father's hand. Nothing will. But what he wants to do, I think, more than anything, is he wants to wreck your life. And why he wants to wreck your life? Because he wants to try to get you to quit. He wants to try to get you quit being um, an effective witness for the kingdom of God. And so what he wants to do is, is wreck your kids and wreck your marriage. Try to entice you into the, uh, the lust of the world, the lust of the flesh. He'll do whatever it takes to get you off course because he wants you to quit raising your kids in the ways of the Lord. He wants to discourage you so much that you stop praying and you stop reading your Bible. You stop having devotions. You stop going to church, having your devotions. And there, he wants to discourage you where there's a deadness in your Christian life. If anybody knew the enemy, it was Peter. Peter knew him well. Again, in Luke chapter 22, we read again that last account there, uh, that last night the disciples would meet with Jesus. And it says there that there was a dispute among them because they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And it would be Peter that would take Jesus aside and he would say, Lord, you know, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And I could just see Jesus' response. His response would be in love, but he would say to him, Oh, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may shift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith shall not fail. And I tell you, Peter... The rooster shall crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. And we know how that ended up. And Peter would deny him. And I can imagine that he had figured that he had sent the day of grace away. He said that he went away and he wept bitterly. And you can just picture Satan coming and he's roaring, see? See what he did? He couldn't even stand up for the Lord. He goes to the Lord and says he'll stand up for him, but he's a, you know, he's a liar. He couldn't even stand up to a little servant girl. Denied him three times. What kind of person would do that after all that the Lord has done for him? And so he, Peter was scattered along with the other disciples, and he felt defeated. And we can see that because if you turn ahead to John chapter 21, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And the, and the context of that, when he said, I'm going to go fishing, it, it, it most likely means that he was going to go back to a way of life that he knew. And that was to be a fisherman again. And so he says, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go back to the way of life that it was. I've sinned the day of grace way. I could never get back to the Lord probably. And so he takes some of the other disciples with him. And he's out there in the Sea of Galilee. He's on that boat. They're casting their nets all night. And they're coming up empty. 
They're coming up empty. And there's a, Jesus comes to the shore. They don't know it's him, but he comes to the shore and he yells out to them early in the morning. He says, did you get anything? No. Throw your net on the right side. It must have been fishing on the left side. He says, throw your net on the right side. They throw it on the right side and they come into a big haul of fish. And we know that they've seen that picture before, haven't they? And so John says to Peter, he says, that's the Lord. And Peter would jump out of that boat. He would swim to shore and he would get back to Jesus as fast as he possibly could. And when he gets to the shore, Jesus is there and he's waiting there and he doesn't have a stick. He doesn't have resignation papers saying, you need to sign this. You need to get out of the, you know, the, 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 the ministry. He doesn't have any of that. What he has is a fire, and he makes him breakfast. And the Lord would recommission Peter back into ministry. Here's the thing. His love is love that brings forgiveness to you in your life. And maybe that you've been casting things in your life, whether it's sin or just discouragement, and you're casting into all kinds of different places, and you're coming up empty. See, Peter had two things that he could have done when he saw the Lord there on the shore. He could have stayed on that boat, but instead he chose to get back to Jesus as quickly as he can. And if you're one that's casting your net and coming up empty, get out of the boat and get to shore. The Lord is not there to beat you. He's there to bring forgiveness. He's there to bring direction. He's there to bring wisdom. And he's there to get you back on the road where you're effective for the kingdom of God. What is it that the enemy has been roaring into your ears? You get back to the Lord as quickly as you can. Satan is described in Psalm 91.3 as one who may come, uh, you know, against, you know, comes like a, a fowler, one who captures birds. The fowler is always quiet and secretive, never wanting to reveal his presence. We know in 2 Corinthians 11.14, he tells us that Satan comes as an angel of light, appearing glorious and good and attractive. But here, Peter says, he comes as a roaring lion. And we see there in verse 9 that he tells us through the Holy Spirit that we are to resist the devil. He doesn't say that we flee from the devil. We don't run from the devil. We don't sit there and yell at the devil. James says also the same thing. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So Peter is exhorting us to resist him. Steadfast in the faith, being firm in the faith, resist means to stand up against. Steadfast means to be strong. And we get a picture of that from Greek and Roman soldiers, that they would stay, um, lock their shields together, and they would uh, stay side by side real tight. As they're locking their shields together, row after row, it was a defensive tactic. It wasn't an offensive tactic. It was a defensive tactic. And the enemy could never get through them. That's our word steadfast. Resist him. Be steadfast. 
Get up your shield. Get in position to be ready. You know, Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6. It's a, it's a study for another time. But as he says there in chapter 6 of Ephesians, it says our battle's not against flesh and blood, but principalities and against powers and against rulers of the darkness, spiritual hosts and wickedness in the heavenly places. So Paul in Ephesians 6 tells us that we are to put on the whole armor of God so we can withstand him. The helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, girded with the truth and the gospel of peace for shoes. And he says, and to pray always in the spirit. Pray always and to be watchful. And he says, Peter here in this, back to 1 Peter 5, he says, the same afflictions that are happening to you are happening to others. The word brotherhood, it it speaks of the church as a whole. Satan is roaring at the church. But the thing of it is, is we have the promise that Satan cannot overcome the church. There in Matthew chapter 16, we see that uh, Jesus would ask the disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter would say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus would say, blessed are you, uh, Peter, or blessed are you, uh, Simon, Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father is in heaven. And upon that confession... What confession? The confession that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that confession, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not be able to prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not overcome the church. That's a promise to us. Jesus has said that we're overcomers. You You shall have tribulations, but be a good chair. I have overcome the world. So everything that we have in godliness and righteousness is in Christ Jesus. So you stand and you resist the, the attacks of the enemy. And you stand fast and steadfast. And he'll flee from you. So he says, be humble, be watchful. Verses 10 and 11, we're going to finish up with this here. He says, be hopeful. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, and strengthen, and settle you. So here he calls, he calls God the God of all grace. That, you know, and he's called us to uh, a divine, uh, or a, um, he's called us into uh, all grace. He's called us to eternal glory by Jesus Christ. That's a divine summons. After you have suffered a little while, you know, he gives us eternal glory. And he's still working in us in these things. He wants to in our trials. Notice four things in verse five, 10 you want to underline real quickly. He wants to perfect me. Means to equip you for life and service. Second Timothy three sixteen says the word of God equips us for every good work. Secondly, he wants to establish you. Means to fix firmly, to sit fast, or in other words, he wants you to be one who is steady for the stand of Christ. Thirdly, he wants to strengthen you. 
to give you his strength to meet the demands of life, and he wants to settle you. means to lay a foundation. He wants you to continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and not being one that is losing hope. And it is the God of all grace who does this work, who calls you to glory. It is the God of all grace that allows me to do the ministry that I do. That's an amazing thing. And he allows you to do the ministry that he has for you. You know, a lot of liberal scholars think that Peter didn't write those two epistles, First and Second Peter, because he was just a common fisherman. And there's no way that a common fisherman would have this much, um, you know, maturity and spiritual maturity and to be this profound in writing God's word. It's kind of like the Sanhedrins in, in Acts chapter 4. When Peter and John were in the temple area, they heal a, a man who cannot walk and they're, they're preaching Jesus in the temple and, and they were arrested after that healing, after preaching Jesus. They were brought to the Sanhedrin council and Peter would, would you know, he filled with the Holy Spirit, he would preach Jesus to the Sanhedrin council. And when the council saw the boldness of Peter John, it says that they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained. And they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. You just stay in his word, and he'll do amazing things through you. Because just like Peter and the other disciples, that is true, and, and, and I think of myself... I don't deserve to be in ministry of any kind. But the God of all grace allows that to happen because God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things that are despised, God has chosen, and the things that are not to bring the things that are, that no flesh shall glory in his presence. And in our new year, the Lord still wants to use you. There's a lot of things that we don't know what's going on. There's a lot of things that we may not know how to plan. But God is going to work in your life. And God is going to give you the strength to run your race. And in times that we're going through, God is going to use it in a marvelous, incredible ways. Because he uses people like you and me. So he gets all the glory. And so to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter, these exhortations to be humble, to be watchful, and to be hopeful is a lesson for us as we go into this new year. And those are three things that we can rest in as we continue to grow in him. And may he just... Bless us in our new year. Bless Calvary Chapel. I know he wants to do marvelous, great things through us. And that's the hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you desire to do that work in us. I desire, Lord, that you have not written us off and that you will not allow the enemy to overcome any of us. So we may be people that cast our cares on you, 
all the different directions that we're being pulled, may we just cast all that stuff on you because you care for us. And I pray, Father Lord, that that whatever touch that anybody needs, whether it's a physical or, or whether it's spiritual or emotional, Lord, that you would meet that need. You would touch us, Lord. And we know that you desire the very best, the very best for us. And Lord, that we know that if there's anybody out there listening to this, that thinks that they can come to God on their own merits, on their own righteousness, that they would know that God loves them. And he gives the invitation for them to come to the cross. Because the foot of the cross is equal. It's, it's, it's flat. It's for all of us to have right relationship with him, to have to come and to put our sins at his feet, put it under the blood of Jesus, so that we could have right relationship with God and new life and become new creations. Lord, I pray that they would do that. They would know that Jesus died for their sins and that he is a savior and he also wants to be Lord of their hearts and of their lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to function together that people would see love in this place when they come into this place, that they would know that your presence is here because the world did not offer that to them. I pray, Father, Lord, individually, Lord, that you again would continue because we say we can be confident in completing the work that you're going to do in us. Bless us in our new years, Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment, Lord. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So, hope to see you on Sunday. Have a wonderful evening. And may God bless each and every one of you.